right, well, I'm glad to be here. Hope you are as well. If you want, you can grab your Bibles and turn to Solomon chapter 1. We are going to do our annual discussion on biblical dating and what does biblical dating look like? A man and a woman, yes, that would be accurate for starters. So, um... I just want to encourage you tonight. I know sometimes dating is a hot topic. I realize that everybody's family kind of has a difference of opinion, even within the Christian community, on what healthy dating looks like. And so as we go through uh, Solomon chapter 1, uh, I want you to realize, first of all, that it's advice. This is not a command. There are certainly some biblical commands. Um, for example, being pure before marriage and only um, one man and one woman to be married together. But when it comes to Solomon chapter 1, the stuff that we're going to talk about, basically the roadmap, if you would, of what biblical dating looks like is advice. I encourage you to think of it as that way. But think of it this way, too. It's God's advice to you, and it's Solomon's advice, the wisest man who ever lived, teaming up with God Almighty. So I think it's safe to say that it's at least extremely solid advice that's still practical today, uh, we will talk about some of the cultural things that are in there, um, but you can imagine how, it's pretty easy to imagine how this works uh, today as well. So anyways, we're going to go through it. There's a lot of poetry involved, so there's some symbolism behind things. Uh, sometimes when you read poetry, it's not exactly what you think it is or how it first appears, so some things can be easily misunderstood, so I want to help you kind of walk through that and what that looks like. So we're going to just jump right into it. It's a uh, song... Song of Solomon's chapter 1, verse 1. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, I do encourage you to take notes as uh, you can imagine dating is quite the hot topic and they're certainly relevant to your lives, either currently or it will be in the days ahead. All right, so Song of Solomon, chapter 1. He says, Song of Songs, sorry, Song of Songs. He says, Let me kiss, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delicate, delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. For your name is like perf perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. All right. And then he says, we, then the friends speak, and they say, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. All right. So I realize this sounds a little hot and steamy, but we're going to unpack it here. For you. It's not quite as scandalous as it might first appear. All right, so first of all, she is being fanciful, okay? It's poetry. She's being a little dreamy, right? Anybody ever have a crush on somebody? Right? Most people are going to have a crush on somebody, all right? And you get a little dreamy, a little fanciful, a little maybe too Disney or Hollywood, right? You get a little excited. So that's what she is being. She's being fanciful. She's saying, hey, I want to kiss him, right? She's being fanciful or dreamy. I wish... In fact, she's saying that I could kiss this man, right? She's excited about him. And he has this key phrase in there that says, his name. Now, in that culture, which is today in a lot of cultures too, his name means she's attracted to his name, all right? More than just his looks, more than his personality, his name. And his name is his character and his reputation, right? So this woman is attracted to this man's character and his reputation. And because he has incredible character... And because he has an incredible reputation, that's why she wants to be romantic with him. Does that make sense? So she's looking for his character and reputation, right? 
She wants a real man. And fellas, newsflash for you, real women want a real man, one with high character and a great reputation, somebody they can trust, right? Now, you probably know this, but character is 100% up to you, right? Your choices are a reflection of your character. Nothing short of it, nothing more of it, nothing less than it. Your character is a reflection of your choices, right? There's no excuses for you not having good character. It's 100% on you. Anytime you have a flaw in your character, it's called sin. It's a result of a poor decision, right? And out of a really healthy character comes a really healthy reputation, right? So God can build upon your character that you control and can give you a really healthy reputation that God controls. You know, I always find it interesting when somebody has uh, something called gossip. Anybody ever experienced something called gossip before? Right? Most people will. Multiple times in their life. Gossip is an attack on somebody's reputation. The interesting thing about it, if you have a poor reputation, it's very easy for people to gossip about you because they'll believe anything, right? You already have a poor reputation. However, if you have a healthy reputation and somebody gossips about you, eventually they'll be found out that they're lying and it comes back to bite them. So whenever you have an attack on your reputation, I want you to remember that you can control your character and God will defend your reputation for you. You don't have to, I mean, I wouldn't say that don't deny something, you know, if you didn't do something, but trust God to protect your reputation, especially if you're choosing to have godly character. All right, so I want us to do a quick little list here to make a point about this. So real women like what? A real man, right? Somebody with good character and good reputation. So, ladies, we're going to help the fellas out. I need your help. I want you to tell me a list of things that is attractive in a real man. Character qualities. What do you like? Honest. Personality, sure. Humor, good work ethic, which would mean not lazy and not a workaholic, right? Okay, good. Forgiving, right? Loves the Lord. Pretty hard to be forgiving if you don't love the Lord. Right? Should also be called teachable, right? Humble. Okay, so these are just some characteristics of good character, right? So if somebody is a jerk and not forgiving and rude and always has to be right, is that attractive? No, it's not, right? 
So this woman, she gets fanciful about this guy because she knows his reputation enough to know that these are characteristics of his life. Does that make sense? So again, she gets fanciful or dreamy about him, not just because the guy has good looks and has everything together. It's because he has a good godly reputation. Right? If you want to have impeccable, outstanding character, you want, then or you need to have, excuse me, impeccable, outstanding character if you want God to bless you with a really godly reputation. So she says, listen, bring me into your chambers. Right? She's saying someday, she's not saying, hey, this guy has a great reputation. I want to ruin it. What she's saying is she's being fanciful. Someday I want him to bring me into his chambers. right? And she's referring to wedding day. Okay, She's honoring this guy's reputation, which she's going to get to later in, in this thing. right? So again, she's saying, I don't want to partner with the devil and destroy his reputation. That's not what she's saying. She's saying, because he has a great reputation, I want to be his one and only. Okay? So she gets fanciful about this guy. And the friends all swoon, right? And they say, oh yeah, this guy's awesome, right? We wish he could be ours as well, right? A good choice. A good rep has good because because of his good character and reputation. So step one to dating is grow your character. It's impossible to have a healthy dating relationship without good character on both parties. Do you understand that? It's a fundamental foundation. Even if you were not a Christian, there is no way to have a healthy relationship without healthy character in the two people. It's foundational. Okay, we continue. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 5. She says, How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark are the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, and my own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me whom you love, where you graze your flock, and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. Okay, there's a bunch going on here. Again, easily could be misunderstood. So first of all, in today's culture, you might mistake this. This is not racist, okay? When she's saying, dark am I, yet lovely, but she's, she's explaining that culturally, it was cultural to have really light skin. Light skin was considered beautiful in that time. In fact, the same thing is in Africa today. You may not realize this or not, but they're trying to do everything they can to have light skin in Africa. In America, everybody does everything they can often to try to get a tan, Right? Right? You go to tan boost? Yeah. Right? It's considered attractive. Well, in this culture, at this time, it was considered unattractive to have a tan. This woman has a very dark tan because she's been working outside. Okay? So she, she is saying, don't pay attention to just my skin. My beauty runs more than skin deep. Right? I have had to actually do something called work. She has a good work ethic too, right? She says, I don't just get to sit around and perfume myself all day like a bunch of these other ladies. I have to do something called work. My brothers didn't like me, so they sent me out in the fields to work. And it actually did something beneficial for her where she developed a good work ethic, right? 
So she says, she tells him, listen, my beauty is more than skin deep. I too have great character. Then she says, why should I be veiled to you or ashamed of my skin? Right? She says, I am confident. And I know who I am. And so I can stand in front of you without having to hide or be ashamed of who I am. Right? How God made me. You know, you don't want to get into a dating relationship without being confident in who you are. If you feel insecure, that is a really, really bad time to date. Because that means you're trying to replace your insecurity with somebody else. And you're going to get hurt. So you need to know who you are. And be insecure in who you are. And not ashamed of who you are and who God made you to be. Right, so she tells him, she takes this a little step further, and she says, hey, let's, listen, let's get to know each other. We do the hashtag goat date, right? Let's take my goats and go graze them next to your goats so that we can get to know each other. In other words, she's out in public view. There's other people present, and she's getting to know this guy that she likes in a very public setting. So there's not going to be any accusations, any false assumptions. There's also not any pressure because they're in a group setting. Right? So she's getting to know each other in this very public group setting. Right? Again, Solomon's saying, for example, don't go hide off in a dark car together where nobody knows what's going on, where there's no accountability, and it's really easy for you to be falsely accused. Right? Don't start a scandal. Don't sabotage your brothers and sisters. Because you can. Be careful. Protect one another. Go and do things in a public setting where there's not even a hint or possibility to be misaccused of something. Or falsely accused, okay? So again, you want to do group things for the next stage in dating. We'll go back and review some of these. So again, key focus in stage one is how can I make my character great? How can I grow further in my character? Do I have any weaknesses in my character that need to be improved? In stage two or three, you're asking the other question is how great is their character? Is it worth someone worth pursuing? Are they the real deal, right? Because if they're not the real deal and you find out, oh, this guy's a jerk, do you want to be married to Mr. Jerkface? Right? Remember Abigail's story? It didn't work out very well. Just because he has lots of money and lots of power, if he's a jerk, you don't want him. Talk about a miserable life. Right? All right. Continuing, Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 1, verse 9. He responds, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Now keep in mind, this is cultural, okay? You wouldn't want to call someone a mare today. They probably would not appreciate that. All right? Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with string of, strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. She responds, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me like a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me as like a cluster of hyena blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. Okay, again, another chance to be easily misunderstood, so we're going to explain this one. So he responds, he listens, he says, my darling, you are better than all the women of the world. Right, you stand out among all of the women of the world. That's what he's saying with this little horse comment. Okay? He's saying, you are the greatest 
of women on the earth. Quite the compliment coming from the king. He tells her, you don't need any jewelry. You don't need any makeup. You don't need any perfume. You are beautiful by God's design. And then he and basically proposes his engagement here. He says, I will make you jewelry. And he commits himself to her. Right? She responds. She says, I sat at his table. Okay? This is where their dating starts. One-on-one. I sat at his table. Notice she doesn't rush into it. Because in our culture, people want to rush into dating, don't they? They instantly go to one-on-one. Before they really know somebody. Before they know their character. That is our culture. That's Hollywood's example, right? You go rush into dating. In fact, they take it a lot further. They rush into sex. And then they try and figure out if somebody has good character. Right? Good way to make sure they don't have good character. She says, I sat at his table one-on-one, and I got to know him. And he loved my perfume. What she's saying is not that she, he had anything to do with her breasts here. He's saying that he loved my words, they, and they were like perfume to him. He held my words close to him. He considered my words. He was intent on me. He was learning from me. Right? We had a great conversation. And she was saying he held my words in his heart. Okay? He goes on and says, My beloved, my engaged fiancé is among the choicest of men. Right? She's like, he's a, he's a keeper. He's a rare find. I've searched for him. I waited for him. And I found him. Okay? So step number four is that you go into what traditionally would have been called courting. Today we call it dating. But it's where you have one-on-one time with somebody. It's not something that's rushed into biblically. I should take your time kind of scouting. Making sure it's somebody really worth pursuing. All right. We go on to the engagement, obviously. So the purpose of dating biblically isn't just to get to know somebody, but you're asking a question kind of behind it. You're asking the question, is this person worth marrying? See, sometimes we get things just backwards. Right? We're insecure, and so we seek out somebody of the opposite sex to get attention. Instead of growing our character and seeking out God to cover that void. We try and find another person. And then we end up in this vicious cycle of dating, breakups, dating, breakups, dating, breakups. And lots of pain. So God's saying there's a better way. So I want to kind of review these together, and then I'm going to try to explain a little the why behind this a little more. So you can write them down if you want to, just keep it really simple. So first, again, you're encouraged to grow your character. Because you have to be worth dating to be worth marrying, correct? And in the end, you want to find somebody really good to marry. You just don't want to rush into it. Second thing is you determine what kind of character you want in your future spouse. Because, we, like the ladies listed, there's a whole list over here, but there might be one of the, or two of those things that you discover to you. All of them are important, certainly, but to you, maybe one or two of those is extremely important. And you don't want to compromise that. And it's important to know that and to identify it before you try to just find somebody. 
Right? You want to know what you're aiming for. Third is again group dates slash go, go dates. Hashtag go dates. Because again, there is no there is way less pressure in a group setting, and no one's getting their feelings hurt. Right? You're not compromising anybody. You're not suddenly getting in a group date. You know, the nice thing about group date is again, if you discover that somebody doesn't have as good a character as you thought, you are safe in a group. You are not alone with them. Is it worth the risk to you and to your future? So you want to do as much as possible in groups before you go off solo. The only reason to go off solo, biblically anyways, would be because you've determined that their character is somebody that you would want to be married with, potentially. See, biblically, dating, the whole purpose is not just to have fun with somebody, but is to find out, is this person the person I want to marry? That is the one and only purpose. Because if you want to have fun with people, that's what groups are for. Right? You can go out dancing with a whole group of people and have a great time. You can go to the fair with a whole group of people and have a great time. And no one's getting crushed with their hurts feelings. No one's compromising themselves. No one's isolating themselves. No one's putting themselves in a bad situation. You're protecting each other the whole time. Obviously, engagement is to prepare for the marriage. Right? So just some advice. Again, it is advice. There is really no purpose to enter into stage four of solo dating unless you really think this person is somebody who you could potentially marry and probably potentially marry in somewhat of a short time frame. So if you think about it, if you ever talk to somebody who's married and they admit to you that it was a struggle for them to wait to get married to the person they ended up marrying, anybody ever talk to somebody about that? No? Yeah, right? You had three daughters. When you find the person you want to marry, you want to get married to them rather quickly. Most people. Almost every single couple you talk to, especially young couples, they will tell you it was hard to wait to get married once they find the right person. So is a 13 or a 14-year-old person ready to get married and to take care of their family in short order? They're not, right? Are you ready to provide for your family? In our culture, now cultural, you know, 2,000 years ago, yes, at 14, you would actually be supplying for your family. You're not today. The culture has changed. So it slowed down the process of marriage. Right? Solomon is telling you that, listen, what you don't want to do, and psychologists mention this a lot, is get into a habit where you constantly are dating and breaking up. Psychologists talk about this. There's a term for it. I can't remember. I went to search for it, and I couldn't find it, but... Basically, you train your brain for divorce. If you constantly date and break up, constantly date and break up, constantly date and break up. You're training your, your mind, your emotions, and your spirit to connect with someone and to leave them. Does that make sense? So Hollywood's example is not good. We're going to get to their percentages. It's not good. I realize 
the biblical model is not as exciting as the Hollywood model, but it's a heck of a lot healthier for you. So here's just a couple advice questions for you. Growing your character. Who do you want to be in five to ten years? In other words, what kind of character do you want to have in five to ten years that you may not have right now? Because we all have room to grow, even at my age, 42. Right? I'm still asking, who do I want to be ten years from now? Because I certainly want to be better than I am now. You should be asking yourself the same thing. Who do I want to be five to ten years from now? When it comes to getting to know the other agenda or looking for something in your future spouse, again, you're asking the question, what kind of qualities do I want them to have 10 years from now when maybe I'm more ready than I am today to be married? Right? What kind of person do you want to spend the rest of your life with? These are good questions and healthy questions to ask. Not to be embarrassed about it. You should be asking, what kind of person do I want to marry? What's absolutely non-negotiable to you? What do I want them to be passionate about? What kind of interests do I want them to share? Right, when you're in a group date, I think it's actually healthy to ask the question of the opposite gender that you might find have a crush on. For example, ask the question, is their character what I would want? Or do they still have a ways to go? Right, because often, and for one thing, for example, let's just say we're out with a group of friends together, and I was your age or not, but let's just say we were, right? Three of us are hanging out, and there's three ladies over here we got a crush on, right? And we just simply ask the question in our heads. We don't have to say it out loud, right? But we ask the question, all right, what do I like about each of them? Right? So one of them maybe is super kind. One of them is really, really good with her words. Right? And one of them is a really good servant. We're like, I like those three things. Those are three great qualities. None of them have all three of them. But ten years from now, you know what? Maybe one of them would have all three of those qualities and many more. So you simply ask the question when you're group date, what jumps out to you about somebody? Why do I like them? Because we're all going to have different people in our lives that we like something in them. And so if you can identify what you like in them, you can identify something that you value. Does that make sense? And that you would find fulfilling and satisfying later in life. So ask the question when you're in group dates, what do I like about them when you like something in somebody? Okay? I encourage you again, dating is not a game. Right? Dating really is designed for adults or for people on their way to adulting that are ready to enter into that stage of life. It's important to, I think, define the relationship. So if you do decide, hey, I'm going to move from here to here, you need to define the relationship. In other words, explain what you expect in a dating relationship and what your boundaries are. What happens if you don't explain your boundaries to somebody? Verbally, out loud? Do they know they exist? No. How would they ever know that they cross a boundary that you have? 
You will only know you cross the boundary if you respond in anger or frustration. In other words, the only way they'll discover you have a boundary is if they fail somehow. Does that make sense? So if you want to explain, for example, and I don't know what it would be, let's just say, hey, I don't want to kiss you until I'm ready. So you just you say that. They would have no way of knowing that unless you tell them. So when you create a boundary for dating, you're setting up yourselves, them and you, for success. Versus if you don't explain your boundary, you're setting you and them up for failure. Does that make sense? And if that makes you uncomfortable to have that conversation, you shouldn't be dating. Right? Hopefully this person is your friend and has been your friend for quite some time. Or you really know they have a good reputation at least. One of the two. Because people don't get really good reputations overnight. You can check somebody's reputation and you know from multiple sources that you trust this person has a good reputation. Probably a pretty safe person. But again, you still need to check these out. I wouldn't rush into the situation. Traditionally, successful, and you can talk to a lot of adults if you don't believe me about this, people that have been married, but successful courtship slash dating is going to be about two years at the most to about six months at the shortest. Because if it gets longer than that, it gets really, really hard. So again, just advice, practical advice, based on people who have been married in front of you, but if you can't imagine being married to somebody in the next two years, probably not a good time to date. Because it's really, really hard to be like my brother who dated somebody all through college and his senior year of high school. Five years is a long time to date somebody. That's a long time. That's a lot of pressure on your relationship. You can be really, really good friends to them, and you can communicate to them that you really like them if you want to, but be careful about going on further. That's one thing they both have admitted that was they should have slowed down on it. Engagement, same thing. When you get engaged, why do you get engaged? So you can get married, right? So do you want to be engaged forever? No. People are on the fast track when they get engaged, right? They're excited. Everybody's excited. You want to get married. So typically, you don't want to drag it out forever, typically, anyways. Most couples, again, will tell you that if you go longer than a year, it gets really, really hard on your engagement. At the same time, you don't want to rush it to the extreme because you're still vetting them, right? So most folks will tell you six months to about a year is sort of the normal healthy pattern. Now, you can go on either extremes. Again, it's just advice. But I wouldn't encourage you to take like a three-year engagement, all right? If you're doing a three-year engagement, you're probably not ready to be married. All right, here's some stats for you. You may not like these stats, but only 2% of high school relationships end in marriage. Or in other words, 1 in 50, which is actually a lot higher than I thought it would be. But 1 in 50 high school relationships result in marriage. So my brother is 1 in 50. However, 
these relationships have an 85% chance of getting divorced. The highest in the nation. So you might want to think about that when you date in high school. Statistically, your odds are not good. In fact, the only other group of people that are that bad as far as your high rate, rank of, high rate of divorce is Hollywood stars. Have the exact same percentage, 85% chance of ending in divorce. Yeah, 85% chance. Hollywood stars and high school relationships. Let's do both categories. Now, what's interesting, considering what we talked about last week, if porn gets involved in the relationship, then the divorce rate jumps to 94% chance. Increases it by 9%. So not good. The eight statistical ways to have a successful marriage, this does not have to do with the Bible. This is actually found in a magazine that's uh, very anti-church, but I thought the article was interesting, uh, which I don't know I've shared in the past, but because it basically argues against everything this article said. Statistically, the eight ways to set yourself up for success for marriage is one, to wait until you're 25 years old. Now, you may not like that. I was under 25 when I got married. I know a lot of people are, were under 25 when they got married. But you have more life experience if you wait until you're 25. You know who you are more. Right? There's more opportunity to develop your character. The second is you wait to live together until you get married. The third is you go to college, again, statistically. The fourth, which is interesting because this entire article argued against this thing and then admitted that they were wrong, you wait to have sex until you're married. The fifth is you wait to get married until your income is above the poverty line. Any guess on why that's important? So you're not broke as a goat, right? It's hard to have a, a new relationship when you're broke as a goat. And I know a lot of married couples, myself included, started off very low on income. But if you have a little bit of money, it definitely makes it easier. The sixth, which is a newer thing, but if you behave yourself on social media. Ever know anybody that ruins relationships on social media? If they're ruining relationships on social media, you do not want to date them. Ever. You hear me? Because if they're going to vent to the whole world, how are you going to have a healthy relationship with them? How is there any sacredness in your relationship or any trust? So watch social media. The seventh we basically talked about last week, but we want to avoid pornography. Even occasional usage of pornography dramatically affects the marriage. And the eighth, which is the only one you can't control, is if your parents are still married. Probably because you at least have a, a semi, at worst case scenario, semi-positive example of marriage, right? Versus if the marriage fell apart, your example is probably not as good. So if you follow these things, you're three times more likely to stay married. So the average divorce rate in America is not healthy. It's 50%. Half a couple's fail. If you were to follow all of these, your chance of divorce drop, drops clear down to 10%. If you, if you do the majority of these things. 
Think about that. Even following half of the advice, you, you drop your risk from 50% to 10%. Isn't that pretty good odds? And yet, lots of people are not willing to do that. So what's interesting is when God lays out his word and he gives us all of this advice, even people who disagree with this because they simply just want to do something different, admit that they're wrong when it comes to stats. Isn't that interesting? So ask yourself the, the question when you want to do something that you know is against God's word, because we all want to do stuff that's against God's word from time to time. Right? Especially when, if we're honest, hormones get involved. Okay? It's a reality. Is it worth, though, destroying the absolute, fundamental, most important relationship in your life next to God? That's a pretty big gamble if you're going to ruin or hurt, especially purposely, that relationship or to risk it. And what most people don't understand is you start making those decisions now. Because see, dating and this whole process, it's all preparation and practice for this, for marriage. So if you keep messing this up and you date and break up and date and break up and date and break up and date and break up, you're practicing for failure with marriage. Do you understand that? So that's why Solomon gives us advice and he says, slow down. You can enjoy tons of relationships right here. without all the pain and drama. Y'all hear me? I'm afraid we're going to break up in small groups. Lord, thank you for this word, your word, Lord. I thank you for your advice. Lord, I pray you would remind each of us of your advice when we need it. Lord, sometimes if we just admit it, we, are, we don't like your advice all the time. In fact, sometimes we're just determined to go against it. Lord, I pray even yet you would just remind us of your word. You would bring it to mind, Lord, that you would help us remind each other of your word and of your boundaries. Lord, every single one of your boundaries you set up is set up in good and pleasant places for our protection. And what's odd is we live in a world today that the stats back up your word over and over and over and over again. Lord, help us to be wise and to consider your word, Lord. Lord, I pray for each student here. Lord, I pray for their purity, purity of mind, their purity of emotions, their purity of heart. Lord, I pray over them in their future marriages that they would choose today and the days ahead, no matter what their pasts look like, that they choose today and the days ahead to set their, their marriage up for success. I pray in Jesus' name.